I'll wear the mask in the stores and follow the rules, but as soon as I'm out of the store, I rip that thing off. South Florida opens city by city. This process has been very thorough. Still, concerns, uncertainty, and false county questions. Every day that I'm not open is another day closer to me saying I have to quit. The governor takes a victory lap and takes some fire. For the governor to engage in a smear campaign on the character is outrageous. Questions about the COVID-19 data, he fires back. She is not the, the chief architect of our web portal. Florida's jobless hit new highs. The numbers have improved of claimants paid. Desperate and suffering that have not been uh, completed are only getting worse. As South Florida works to stop the spread. Good morning. Glad you could join us. I'm Michael Putney. I'm Glenna Milberg. This was a week when the battle lines were more sharply drawn than ever between the president and his critics and between Governor Ron DeSantis and his critics. Those critics unleashed about Florida's dysfunctional unemployment process and the dispute over the data used on the health department's public COVID-19 dashboard. And among the most vocal is Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz. She is joining us this morning right there from her home in Weston via Skype. Good morning, Congresswoman. Morning, Glenn and Michael. Good to be with you both. We are so glad that you are. Congresswoman, uh, this week, Governor Ryan DeSantis made several, what I think you could call victory laps around the state, saying the state of Florida, under his leadership, has done a really good, solid job of containing coronavirus. Of course, we've had 50,000 cases, 2,200 deaths. Uh, how do you think the governor has done? I mean, I think this week, Governor DeSantis, uh, I think, could be characterized more like Governor Darkness. Uh, he sunk to new lows this week, first accusing, a, uh, accusing the unemployed who are desperately trying to seek unemployment benefits from our broken system that he refuses to fix, of it being their fault that they can't access benefits. And, and then he fired Rebecca Jones, who was praised nationally for leading the really best database in terms of transparency and the kinds of data that, that people need to be able to make decisions about how to deal with uh, reopening and nursing home uh, health care and other kinds of really important questions and fired her because she refused to manipulate the data. and and. The examples that she used in an important interview on CNN with Chris Cuomo the other night were things like being asked to manipulate data related to our more rural counties and the data not really being being uh, accurately represented in terms of the cases there. So this rush to reopen is uh, is really a desperate attempt to try to take a victory lap that he doesn't deserve. Michael, if you look at where we are in cases, we are now in the top tier of states for the number of cases that we have. We've passed 50,000 cases. That's among the states with the, the, the highest number of, of cases, in, uh, and we aren't going in the right direction. Our cases are going up by hundreds and hundreds each day. I'm not sure where the victory lap is deserved. Congresswoman, to, to your point and the way we actually opened this program today was about how this COVID-19 whole issue is now breaking down somehow 
on extremely partisan sides. And, and what you just talked about is indeed the criticism that we hear from Democrats, though not Republicans. Um, and, and there is another side to all of those stories that we're hearing as well. Uh, I want to start with the, the percentage of positive cases in Florida is actually on the decline. And that is in the data that we've been seeing all along. And one of the things that everybody agreed upon would be one of the metrics for the reopening. Could you address that? Yeah, we're not testing enough people and we don't have an effective contact tracing and testing program in place. And the governor refuses to put one in place. The president refuses to put one in place. And the only way to safely reopen to make sure that we have our number of cases going in the opposite direction, beginning to decline, is to consistently, is to make sure that we have a comprehensive, robust testing and contact tracing and isolation program. So what, what we're doing here is we are throwing caution to the wind. We're allowing our communities to reopen before we actually have this system in place. And we're not striking that important balance where we know that we're isolating people who have been diagnosed and ensuring that people who are healthy are able to begin to reemerge. And so we are never going to get out of this vicious cycle unless we establish that kind of program. Yeah. And so to say that, uh, that, that we're doing this the right way and that we can continue to move more and more into reopening to the types of things where large crowds gather I mean, we're opening beaches, thankfully in Broward and Miami-Dade, only to people who are not going to be allowed to sunbathe or, or sit down and hang out on the beach. But we, we, we can't be rapidly moving towards opening large gatherings of crowds like Universal is opening on June 5th because we're going to, we are a draw for the rest of the country. Once these places open, we are going to be a magnet for people who are from states where there are also hot spots. Well, so we, we get what, over 20 million visitors a year here in South Florida. Right. Uh, Congresswoman, let me let me go back, if I may. Uh, you mentioned at the outset Rebecca Jones, this State Department of Health employee who had run to critical acclaim the COVID-19 dashboard. And right. of course, she did appear with Chris Cuomo. I want to run a little bit of the sound from what she said, explaining why she was fired by her boss. Here's a sound from Rebecca Jones. Well, the first time I was asked to do something improper was in April. And when I brought basically what the results of whether or not each county could open to superiors, they essentially told me they did not like the results. How the so? Results what does that match. mean they didn't like? Help us understand. The results didn't match the report for reopening that had already been written. Well, in simplest terms, what it sounds like here, Congresswoman, is that she is saying my bosses asked me to kind of cook the figures to make it look like these smaller counties and other counties were met the criteria to reopen. Is that the way you hear it? Exactly. And that goes back to your question of pointing to the data that we seemingly look like we have had a lower percentage of positive cases. When we've had called into question the manipulation of the data itself, then we just don't really know. You have rural counties that it appears uh, may have worse numbers than are being represented. The governor actually required the medical examiners across the state to stop reporting 
their, their, their death data that they've always, even pre-virus, been able to report. On, they had to be sued in order to begin releasing that data again. They separate out snowbirds and people who technically don't live in the state, even though they contracted the virus and died in the state. They've been playing with the numbers to be able to reopen and so that the governor can make himself look good. And on top of that, he's really doing ridiculous things like not wearing a mask in public and not properly promoting how people can safely social distance. This is not a partisan issue. Yeah, this virus doesn't know whether I, we're a Republican I, or a Democrat. I, I beg your pardon. You know, I have to say for the record, while he has not worn a mask while conducting these news conferences, when he, and he didn't when he was with Mike Pence in Orlando, yet most of the time when he is out, I mean, you see him here not in a mask, but uh, Glenna, in my history and watching uh, the governor, he wears a mask quite a bit of the time. No, he wears a mask when he isn't around people who might criticize him for it. He sat about two feet from the vice president at a restaurant when, uh, when he was here this past week and had no mask on. And it, the, the, the important point when public health experts tell us about proper social distancing is it's not a sometimes thing. It's an all the time thing. The virus can be spread very easily, very quickly. We've seen many examples of that. And making sure that we consistently practice social distancing and making sure that social distancing practices are not made partisan because the virus, like I said, does not know whether we're Republicans or Democrats or what is the key to making sure this virus doesn't spread. We have to make sure that we help our people who are desperate to get their unemployment benefits. The governor's not doing that. We need to make sure that we have expanded vote-by-mail opportunities in this state because the governor is one of the last to draw down the federal funds to ensure that we can conduct our elections safely. And we need to make sure that we lead by example and that we can count on the data that is coming out of the state of Florida, which right now has further been called into question. And right along, if you remember back in the beginning of this crisis, Michael, before we had community spread and for weeks the governor refused to acknowledge that we did. He has been trying to really put a, a cloak of, of secrecy and opaqueness over the information that people need to keep themselves healthy, and it's really an outrage. Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz, hopefully we will have someone from the governor's office here sometime soon to address all of those things. Always <laughs> appreciate you, you uh, being with us. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you both. All right, up next, a state senator looking for an investigation into that public COVID, COVID dashboard and the now terminated woman who created it. We will speak with Senator Jose Javier Rodriguez. Take a look at your screen if you have not seen it yet. This is exactly what the state's COVID-19 dashboard looks like. It's posted daily by the State Department of Health. This is a compendium of COVID-19 data. How many people have tested positive for the virus in the past 24 hours? How many people have been hospitalized? How many have died? It is an invaluable tool for medical researchers, for journalists, and for the public. This week, the now former state employee who helped create that dashboard, apparently she was fired, as we were speaking about, for insubordination and publicly accused the governor of hiding data to support the plan to reopen the state. The governor's office fired back saying Rebecca Jones was lying and that she was unqualified for her job. State Senator Jose Javier Rodriguez of Miami is those who are calling among those 
calling for the inspector general to investigate the firing of Rebecca Jones. He joins us now live by Skype. Uh, Senator, great to see you. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me, and thanks for uh, putting so much attention on this very important issue about our data. Senator, the issue really from the public point of view at this point is a he said, she said. Uh, there are two vastly different stories coming from Rebecca Jones and from Governor Ron DeSantis and the people of the Department of Health. What do you know from a state standpoint that we may not? Well, th thank you for the question. So uh, I don't. One of the reasons why the transparency is so important during a uh, public health emergency is that we all rely on this data. I don't have my own Department of Health. You don't have your own Department of Health. We have all kinds of decision makers in the public and private sectors, you know, from families just trying to make decisions for loved ones to leaders of large institutions making decisions for their uh, customers, for their employees. And so I don't have access to more information than others do. This is the third major issue that the governor has had during the pandemic with transparency. The very first one, um, not to get off topic, but related to the refusal to release aggregate data about what was happening prior to confirmed cases. And in that process, I wasn't getting data. My colleagues in the Senate weren't getting data because they were refusing to release it to us and the public. Um, and so again, this is a third instance. I don't have uh, added information. Again, if, if uh, you know, large employers, uh, our school systems, others had other sources of data, uh, then obviously uh, the stakes wouldn't be so high. But we all rely on the same information for the decisions that we need to make. Senator, can I just follow up for a moment? You said you're not getting data. Data is being changed, taken down. That Those are, in context, scary words. What does it mean to take, we all know, I'm not going to say anything everyone doesn't know, Numbers and stats can be skewed to show different things to different people. In a really nonpartisan, objective way, what, what do you think is happening with the information as the state tries to convey to the public what is going on? Well, I want to be clear. What I was mentioning about in the past, the, the prior incidences of the governor having transparency issues have happened around our public records laws. Myself and others requesting aggregate data about what's happening with the spread of COVID, them saying they won't and can't provide that, uh, you know, instances in assisted living facilities, uh, you know, reports of, of death tolls. All those issues have been worked out. Those are about public records, worked out in the sense that we know what was happening and they've, they've basically backtracked for now on a lot of that. What I don't know, again, uh, Ms. Jones has made allegations. They're very serious. We need an inspector general to look into this. I've also been talking to my legislative colleagues, leadership and professional staff in the Florida Senate about potential legislative inquiries. And the reason is I don't know. Uh, we all deserve to know. The governor should want an investigation uh, either to put these allegations to rest and reassure the public about the data they're getting or to take immediate steps to uh, so that the public can continue to trust that information. But the public's trust is absolutely essential as we tackle COVID-19, and it cannot be impugned. Yeah. Senator, uh, in um, Orlando on Wednesday, when the governor was there with uh, Vice President Mike Pence, he really uh, emphasized strongly how he believes that he has been transparent he has not been hiding data, and he lashed out, among other things, 
at the media, particularly the Northeast media. I want to play you that soundbite from the governor. Come to find out, she's also under active criminal uh, charges in the state of Florida. She's being charged with uh, cyber stalking and cyber sexual harassment. So I've asked the Department of Health to explain to me how someone would be allowed to be charged with that and continue on, because this was many months ago. Well, we apologize. That is not the soundbite I wanted, but it's pretty newsworthy. It is where, in fact, the governor took out personally after Rebecca Jones, who, in fact, had been charged with uh, sexual cyber stalking. Uh, let's talk about that. Do you think, in fact, the governor went beyond what was reasonable by talking about her uh, so-called criminal record? I think it's definitely unbecoming. And I want to be very clear, there are two separate but related sets of questions. There's a set of questions of she's alleging that she was retaliated against. The governor is saying she was insubordinate. There are processes, and those will work themselves out. It is unfortunate that he's chosen the ugly route, frankly, uh, of as in his role as an employer to basically trash her publicly. He's, the governor's made that decision. It's not nice. But it's a separate set of questions. Is it true what she alleged happened during her time? She mentions two specific instances uh, where she was asked to do things that were improper. One of them she did, and one of them she didn't. Uh, she mentions that she was asked to falsify and delete data. She says that she didn't do it. She was also alleged to, uh, she was alleged she also was asked to manipulate data, and she says that they did that and then undid that. And, uh, you know, again, that's what we need to investigate, um, and those separate set of questions about the integrity of our public health data, uh, the governor seems to be diverting attention from that onto the, you know, the, the dispute that they now have. And again, what she's alleging about her retaliation is very serious. I'm not trying to d distract from that, but it is a separate question uh, of right. is she right about what she's telling us that is happening at the Department of Health? Senator, before we let you go, and, and we don't have very much time left in this segment, I will be honest with you, but we really need to address the unemployment numbers in Florida this week, another almost 224,000 people jobless, a new record, more than 2 million Floridians out of work. Uh, the governor this week said that now that the dysfunction has been mitigated, although we know it has not been all mitigated, that there are, a, a, in a case-by-case -case basis, people are now being looked at and paid in this relief that they've been waiting for. What can you tell us about that and what you're hearing from your constituents? Well, listen, coming into the crisis, we had the worst system in the country, uh, both in terms of how it operated as well as how it was managed. And during the crisis, every state has been hit with the uh, unprecedented and speed of, of huge numbers of job losses. But the state has done a terrible job here in Florida in just getting the money out, frankly, that, that, that employers have been paying taxes for a long time for this moment so that employees could get this. And it, the money has taken a long time. And I mean, it took them a month and a few days to set up an application system for one of the programs. It took them five or six weeks for another one of the programs. So they've been glacially slow, inconsistent, and it's led to the situation we're in right now, where they're releasing data about how many people have been paid something. And we're hearing from a lot of constituents, 
it just doesn't seem credible, a lot of what they're telling us. I think what they're telling us is that um, most people who, who they deem eligible have received something. And I think that that's true, but something could be maybe part of one week that they were owed several weeks ago, and they're still yeah. uh, waiting for the rest. So we're not doing a good job. There has been improvement, frankly, only because so much time has passed uh, that they've been able to process more claims. But the lack of clarity that my constituents need on a whole range of really specific issues uh, continues, and, and it's dismaying because they won't even respond to our requests to, to offer to help them. Myself and all of my colleagues, frankly, yeah. on both sides of the aisle have been trying to assist them yeah. in assisting our constituents, and they won't even let us do that. Well, we have heard from Senator Jason Pizzo of Miami, also Senator Jeff Brandis, a Republican. We know have been in Tallahassee for weeks who have been trying to get this system to work better uh, to almost no avail. It's still a big problem. Senator Jose Javier Rodriguez, great to talk to you. Thanks for your time this morning. And up Thank next, you. Broward County is about to reopen the beach and gyms and more. But there is a catch. County Commissioner Mark Bogan is next to talk about it. I'm Alfonso, and there's more to me than HIV. There's my career, my cause, my choir. I'm a work in progress. So much goes into who I am. HIV medicine is one part of it. Prescription Devado is for adults who are starting HIV-1 treatment and who aren't resistant to either of the medicines, dolutegravir or lamivudine. Devado has two medicines in one pill to help you reach and then stay undetectable. So your HIV can be controlled with fewer medicines while taking Devado. You can take Devado any time of day, with food or without. Don't take Devado if you're allergic to any of its ingredients or if you take the Fetalide. If you have hepatitis B, it can change during treatment with Devado and become harder to treat. Your hepatitis B may get worse or become life-threatening if you stop taking Devado. So do not stop Devado without talking to your doctor. Serious side effects can occur, including allergic reactions, liver problems, and liver failure. Life-threatening side effects include lactic acid buildup and severe liver problems. If you have a rash and other symptoms of an allergic reaction, stop taking Devado and get medical help right away. Tell your doctor if you have kidney or liver problems, including hepatitis B or C. One of the ingredients in Devado may harm your unborn baby. Your doctor may prescribe a different medicine than Devado. Your doctor should do a pregnancy test before starting Devado. Use effective birth control while taking Devado. The most common side effects are headache, diarrhea, nausea, trouble sleeping, and tiredness. So much goes into who I am and hope to be. Ask your doctor if starting HIV treatment with Devado is right for you. Thank you for doing your part in keeping our community safe. Over these past couple of months, many of us have had to delay regular visits with our doctors, and some may have even ignored important symptoms. Your relationship with your physician is so important to your health. Our offices are now open for same and next day appointments, respecting social distancing and your safety. You live a busy life. You say you want a degree, but when do you have the time? With Kaiser University's online classes, you have the freedom to earn your degree anytime you choose, one course at a time. For over 40 years, Kaiser University has put the student first. So you don't just get a degree, you gain an educational partner committed to your success. This is about you. Visit kaiseruniversity.edu to get started now. 
Welcome back. This Memorial Day weekend is unlike any South Florida Memorial Day weekend in recent memory. And that would be true even if it weren't a rainy day. The beaches would be closed. And if you were able to hold a back to backyard barbecue, you'd have to practice social distancing and wear a mask if you had your neighbors over. And we can still honor those who died for us. That's what this is all about. Local 10's Trent Kelly is along the beach in Fort Lauderdale to take it from here. Hi, Trent. Hey there, Glenna. Good morning to you, Michael. Yeah, it's crazy to think that here we are, Memorial Day weekend here in South Florida, and right now the beaches are empty, the bars are empty, restaurants are having difficulty attracting a crowd, and that's what we're seeing both here and in Miami Beach as the beaches remain closed. A Memorial Day weekend that will surely be memorable, but not in the way South Florida is used to. In Broward, the beaches are bare, and so too are the businesses. Along A1A in Fort Lauderdale Beach, retail shops and restaurants that are normally at or near capacity are now barely attracting a crowd. County leaders making the decision to reopen some non-essential businesses last week, but holding off on reopening the beach until this coming Tuesday, the day after Memorial Day. It's a similar scene in Miami-Dade, where South Beach was left looking barren. The normally packed Ocean Drive almost completely clear. It's a stark contrast from previous Memorial Day weekends when people from all over the country would converge on Miami Beach for what's known as Urban Beach Week. The increased crowds and chaos leading some businesses to close for the weekend in years past. But this year, crowds won't be an issue with the shoreline there remaining closed through June 1st. Yeah, certainly some interesting timing there with officials in both Broward and Miami-Dade counties choosing to wait until after the holiday weekend to start to reopen some of their shorelines. By the way, another thing we noticed yesterday when it wasn't raining so much is there were actually quite a, a bit of boaters out in the water uh, taking advantage of this long weekend. We should mention that law enforcement, as they always are, they will be out there as well to enforce those social distancing guidelines. But with this weather, that likely won't be a big issue today. That's the very latest from Fort Lauderdale Beach. Glenna, Michael, back over to you. Boy, that's a double-edged sword. <laughs> Thanks, Trent, <laughs> very much. The rules are different here. Remember, that is an old Miami marketing slogan, but this week it seems to apply to Broward County. We're deciding what can reopen and when and how became a contentious issue. An executive order was issued late Friday afternoon by the county administrator, Bertha Henry, saying that Broward beaches and commercial gyms can reopen Tuesday with severe restrictions, but it appears that decision, like so many others, was made behind closed doors without public input. Joining us now to talk about that from Coral Springs is Broward Commissioner Mark Bogan. Nice to see you, Mr. Hey, Commissioner. Hi, Glenna, Michael. Good to be with you guys. Yeah. Uh, Commissioner, uh, the response and the executive policy decisions that have been made in Broward, frankly, seem to have been sort of all over the place uh, in this last week. I mean, you had Dean Trantellis, Mayor of Fort Lauderdale, saying, yeah, gyms can open, and then the county administrator said no and then this issue of the policy came out friday evening saying that hotels and uh, commercial gyms can open did you weigh in on that i mean did you and elected leaders have a say in the new policy of course i mean look at uh, many of our meetings um, are done by 
phone and uh, some of our commissioners attend meetings and some of us like myself go by phone and so um, we, we're all if you attended last if you listened to last meeting you would have heard different opinions we have commissioners that wanted to open the beaches and the gyms right away we had other commissioners that said no let's be more cautious and safe so um, we do air our views to our, our county administrator and she takes those views and and formulates uh, the order but um, sometimes, you know, it's difficult operating the way we're operating, you know, long distance or by phone. And um, but we do give our input. All of our commissioners give our input. And so, um, you know, there's been some talk about Bertha Henry making decisions without the commissioner's input. And I don't think that's actually fair or accurate. Um, she talks to all of us. We talk at all of our meetings. Every meeting we're talking about this. And uh, we come up to hopefully a consensus that makes sense. Yeah, Commissioner, I want to make sure that I am totally clear here. I am not questioning Bertha Henry's competence. She's a very competent administrator. Uh, I, it just appears to me that maybe this whole last two months or so underscores maybe the need for Broward County to have a strong mayor the way Miami-Dade County does. What do you think? Well, let's first remember that um, every county has to file what's called a uh, emergency management plan. Okay, so whether it's a hurricane or something, and in that emergency management plan, uh, the statute requires that the county designates one person to act in an emergency. So, you're, so when we filed this uh, years ago, uh, you, we put our CEO administrator to act uh, on our behalf. Um, you know. I don't know if we had an elected mayor, I would assume our elected mayor would also have to take the, the consensus of the elected commissioners. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't think this is an issue where it proves we need an elected mayor or not. I've been, I've been one person in the past that has been against an elected mayor because they said, what is not broken, you don't need to fix. But I've come around, uh, maybe we should have an elected mayor. I think a lot of people think we need to have one. and so. If that's what the residents want, so be it. Commissioner, last week the uh, county mayor, Dale Holness, appeared with Miami-Dade's mayor, Carlos Jimenez, and various other mayors from around the counties and cities, and sort of presented a united front and talked about how the opening of Miami-Dade and Broward would be a coordinated thing, especially the coastline and the beaches. And there was yeah. kind of that kumbaya moment that <laughs> went away on Friday when Broward decided to open its beaches six days ahead of Miami-Dade. What happened? You know, I think it's, well, well, it makes sense to coordinate because if we open up, then everybody from Miami-Dade will come and use our beaches, vice versa. And um, I just think it's, we're listening to our residents. Our residents are saying, we want to open this, let's open it. And it's, and, uh, you know, we're accountable to the people of Broward County and Broward County residents that I've heard from and maybe my other commissioners have heard from want the beach to be open. And so it's incumbent upon us to open the beaches. There's one message, though, I want to specifically, if you don't mind, uh, give, and that is I think people need to know that to not let their guard down and the virus is just as contagious right now as it's been three months ago. And so the sad thing is we hear stories of people who are out now and not wearing masks and face coverings and not keeping social distancing, like everything's fine and everything is not fine. 
are, you know, we still have a virus. We still have con a virus that's very contagious and infectious. And and I think the, you know, I'm hoping the media will get out there and say, do not let your guard down. And uh, I, I, Commissioner Bogan, uh, I, I think uh, the media has been pretty strong with that message. And Glenna and I have said it often on this program. Let me ask you, when your beaches open on Tuesday, people in Broward or anybody else who wants to go to your beaches uh, can go there, but they can't lie down on the beach. They can't take a cooler. They can't take a chair to sit. Uh, they can't sun themselves lying down on the beach. They can't play volleyball. They can swim or run or walk on the beach. Now, there are going to be some people who are going to say, that's silly. I mean, why can't people go to the beach the way they normally do? You know, we're a commission of nine elected officials, and um, and some of the commissioners say agree with that. Let's just let it open and let it go. And we have other commissioners that don't even want it to open. They fear that it's going to cause more spread. And I think it's a slow compromise um, because we saw what happened in Miami Beach. Miami Beach opened up, and didn't everybody come out? And and there was there was no social distancing. There was no, no nobody wore any masks. It was nothing. And so they had to close it down again. So we're trying to then do a kind of a compromise where, okay, let's open it, but let's be a little more strict. And then slowly, I think it's a slow approach. We'd rather err on the side of caution um, and then just open it and see what happened in Miami Beach. So I think it's more of taking in some of the commissioner's concerns that don't want it open, some of the commissioners that do want it open. And so let's open it, but be as cautious as possible. Boy, everyone's riding that fine line and kind of learning as we go along. Commissioner Mark Bogan, great to have you with us. Commissioner, appreciate your time you. with us. No, thank you. We appreciate it. All right, next with the confusion over whether gyms are among businesses that can resume, the owner of a South Florida gym is going to uh, join us after broadcasting her pain and frustration online. St stay with us. It has been a long time coming, but commercial gyms in Broward are finally going to reopen on Tuesday. Those are some of the most wanted and most debated businesses in Broward. Confusion reigned with a barrage of different orders. One unloaded on decision makers in an emotional social media post this week. That owner, Amy Gall, has had to keep her two locations of Challenge Fitness closed, her livelihood suspended, and there she is in the gym, live <laughs> with us from Davey. Amy, Amy great welcome. to have you. You know, we watched, uh, we watched your posts on social media. Uh, you are among the business owners who have just been blindsided by a sudden closure. Take us through the, the business side of things and what you've been going through first. Well, we were told to close down on March 18th, you know, due to the pandemic, not knowing. Um, you know, we did get a letter from the governor knowing that we would have to at least stay closed until May 8th. So you have those two months there where the unknown, um, what do I do now? This is my business. This is my livelihood. I'm a single mom with two kids, my business partners and veteran. U.S. Navy, and we. This is what we do. This is our everyday livelihood. So, for someone to tell you that you have to close your business, where does that income come? You and know, then, and then, plus, your business is something that is considered to be one of the ways people can go and be healthy and overcome health issues. And so, being the, a gym owner is just another level of 
of pain, if you will, and now you have all of these conflicting messages about whether or not this week you can open. I, I think where we stand now is you are opening and permitted to this week. Is that right? Yes, we are permitted to open on Tuesday, um, May 26th. We were told we, you know, we were ordered that we could open on May 15th when the governor said you can open May 18th. We were in that phase where gyms could open, and within the hour of being all excited, posting that we're now going to be open May 18th. Everyone get on the schedule. All the clients were excited to come in. You get the downer within the hour of Broward County and Dade County saying that gyms will not be allowed to be open. Yeah. Uh, Amy, uh, it's Michael. Let me ask you, this has clearly been a real threat to your livelihood, deprived you of income for the last two months or so. How close to going out of business did you come or did you have enough reserves to sort of get through this? Well, um, we did. The, the good thing is we did have some clients um, keeping their membership to support us. Um, we did get uh, forgiveness from our Davy location. Our landlord was great and forgave us for two months um, to not even pay at all or owe him. Um, it was different in Wilton Manors. You know, we still have to pay. You still have to pay your rent at home. You're, you know, you still have to pay that P&L in the water and keep it going without any income coming in, except for those clients that are able to just, you know, support you in the way that you can. So, you know, how do you live? How do you did? Now we did get, we did start our virtual training, um, you know, online training, and we did have some clients sign up for that. And also to keep our members that were going to keep them going on the workouts since they were keeping their memberships going. So you, you, found a, you found a way to keep business going a little bit. I, I want people to hear what I thought was a very interesting take that you have on as non-essential, so-called non-essential businesses open. You had talked about who says what's non-essential. X opens, but Y can't. Pet groomers can open and you can get your hair cut, but you can't work out. And, and I really... I really appreciated your perspective on that. I wonder if you would share that with the viewers. Yes, we're all in the service industry. You know, we're here. This is the place for people to distress. And, you know, whether it's at home or work, this is where they come after work or before work. That's what we're here for, you know, to, for our clients. And when you're allowed to go to a tanning salon, I don't want to put any other business down, but, you know, or get your nails done or get your hair done. Why are we considered in a different service or sit at a restaurant even with 20 people, you know, close to each other? We've given every precaution. You know, no one actually ever came in and looked at one of these privately owned gyms to see what it is that we did to take precautions for the health care of our clients and ourselves. Yeah. Amy Gall of Challenge Fitness, we're glad that you spent some time with us and we wish you well. You have two gyms, so Tuesday they are both open. Thank you, Amy. Yes, thank you for having me, Glenn. I'm you're, you're welcome. Still to come, we are hooking up with the mayor of Hialeah, Carlos Hernandez. He that, is with us. And that is next. <laughs> Miami-Dade County's reopening began this week with the delayed participation of its four largest cities, City of Miami, Miami Beach, Miami Gardens, and Hialeah. Hialeah is the sixth largest city in the state of Florida, and yet... It often flies under the radar of most media. Well, today it is very much on our radar as we welcome its mayor, Carlos Hernandez, mayor out there since 2011. Mayor Hernandez, good morning or good afternoon, I should say. Great to see you. How are you? Good afternoon. Thank you for having me on your program, Michael. It's always a pleasure. 
Yeah, uh, Mayor Hernandez, how badly has your city been hit by uh, coronavirus? We saw those pictures in April, hundreds of people lined up to get the paper applications for unemployment insurance. That would indicate your city has been hit very hard. Uh, Michael, this is a, a blue-collar city, industrial city, and, and again, the 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 unemployment has has been, in, you know, great. Um, we do have many cases of the virus here, also in the city. So, I mean, it's been a very, very rough two months uh, here in the city. Uh, again, the unemployment rate is one of the highest in the nation, um, due to the fact that this is a very industrial city. Everything is pretty much closed down. And uh, hopefully we'll start moving forward now in the next couple of weeks. Unemployment highest, almost highest in the nation. And on the flip side, uh, one out of every five of your residents is in that elder population that is mostly susceptible to the worst of COVID-19. And, uh, and there are people there who, there's a, a fine line, if you will, Mayor, where people are the most susceptible and the people who are most um, affected by the unemployment. And, and so how did you make this decision how to open and the practicalities of monitoring and managing that opening? Well, first of all, I mean, I've been working very close with the other large cities. Uh, no for political reasons. I know people made it into political reasons, except that the county gave us the orders almost, um, I think it was a Thursday, and then they were going to open up on Monday. So we needed more time to, to really look at what we wanted to do and also to, to educate our, um, our businesses on how they were going to do things. So uh, we started phase one which is pretty much the retail, the industrial, um, last Wednesday. And on this Wednesday, we're going to open our restaurants. And, and again, I think, I think the most important point that I want to make here is that it's really up to all of us. I think as governments, we're doing the best we can. We don't have a book on this. It's not like hurricanes that we have a little bit of experience. This is a book that we're writing week to week, and, and we're trying to do the best we can. I know the businesses are hungry to open up. They want to do everything right because they want to move forward. And I think at the end of the day, it's going, to come up, it's going to come up to all of us as individuals to put our little part in there and do what is being asked of us. And I still, I'm already seeing cracks out there when I see people without a mask, um, you know, not following social distancing. That's what scares me very much is people, us as individuals, not taking that personal responsibility because I think we all have to do our part to make sure that we can move forward to the next phase and hopefully not have to go back which I think it's everybody's nightmare if we have to go back. Right. Uh, Mr. Mayor, we know that you are the strong mayor of that city, which means you are the chief administrator. Now, all state and local governments have been hit really hard uh, by this pandemic. Uh, tax revenues are way down. Have you had to furlough people, fire people? What are you doing with that in that regard? Mike, the only thing we've done so far is we know that probably our uh, parks, uh, we don't, we're pretty unsure, we're pretty sure, I guess, is the word, that our pools are going to be closed for the next couple of months, and many of our parks activities are going to be closed. So we had, we had to let go some of those part-timers that we were going to keep for the summer. Uh, right now, that's all we've done. We're already working on this year's budget. We know we're going to have a budget gap of about 10 to $15 million that we're going to have to fill for this budget right now and we still don't know what's going to happen next year. So this is a very tough situation uh, for, for local governments. Uh, you know, we're not like the federal government that we can print money, we can borrow money, we have balanced budgets. So right now we're looking at a gap between 10 and $15 million for this budget that we're looking at right now. 
that we're going to have to fill one way or the other. I'm hoping that we'll be able to use some of the reserves to be able to fill this hole this year. Um, and let's see what's going to happen next year. But this is a very serious thing for all the cities. Um, and it's something that, that we're all looking very closely. Mayor Hernandez, we thank you for your time this morning. We wish you well. I love going out to Hialeah. I think it's one of the great American success stories. Also can get some really good Cuban food. <laughs> Just do something about the traffic. We can get together again and hopefully enjoy cafecito. All right. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. All right. Stay with us. We'll, we'll be right back. As if you needed these four pictures to know how gloomy it is outside, take a look at our tower cams across South Florida. Boy, that is gloomy. And here is Weather Authority meteorologist Jordan Patrick, who is not gloomy with your Sunday <laughs> forecast. Jordan. Yes, but everything else just about is, Glenna and Michael. You'll see plenty of showers and storms on our radar right now. One good trend that I am seeing, though, is because of all the persistent rain we've had so far today, the atmosphere is cooling off, so it's starting to stabilize. So I've noticed these showers starting to diminish and die down a little bit. With that being said, from Fort Lauderdale all the way down towards Kendall for the metro coastal area, areas of Broward and Dade, we do have a flood advisory in effect for about the next five to 10 minutes or so as about two to three inches have fallen in that area and more still is offshore that's about to move in. And one thing that I'm going to continue to eye in this batch of showers are the possibility for some winds gusting up to 35 miles per hour. I've also noticed a couple little mesolows, little small pockets of broad rotation embedded in this cluster of storms. So we might see a couple of funnel clouds and maybe a water spout or two over the next couple of minutes. Meanwhile, down towards the Keys, we're finally starting to see some drying conditions. Unfortunately, this rainfall will continue throughout the rest of the day and even into your Memorial Day as well, guys. Hmm. Thanks so much. And we want to thank you for being with us this hour as we are every weekend. We will be here with you throughout this pandemic. We will get through it together. And Glenna and I want to salute the valiant men and women in uniform who gave their lives for our country. We honor their sacrifice and thank all veterans for their service. As always, remember, stay informed, get involved. We will see you next Sunday.